0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmears Day, April 11th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim Hill gives us the history of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which is Disney's own government entity in Central Florida. Let's get started by bringing in the man who points out that have a nice day and enjoy the time you have left until midnight. Are two vastly different messages. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: You know, Lamb. a simple turn of phrase, up, a minor change in emphasis <laughs> can change an entire message.
0: <laughs> All right, Jim, for our show today, we're going to do a quick dedication. We're dedicating mm-hmm. this episode to our longtime friend, Gary Zarelli, who also suggested the topic. And with that, mm-hmm. let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Bridget Bingham, Mickey T, and Meta Lee87 and longtime subscribers Rachel Breslin, TPIR, and Andy Sutherland. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who've been scouring galactic garage sales and pawn shops for things to sell at the soon-to-open Treasures of Xandar store in Epcot's World Discovery. They say that the hard part was figuring out how alien exercise equipment worked for humans, and the best part was buying antique kitchen appliances from the planet Hala, which cleaned themselves after cooking. True story. Ooh. Okay. i got to get myself into that store. All right, Jim, uh, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast for a worry-free travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, the big news is that there is no news yet about a Guardians of the Galaxy annual passholder preview date yet. We know that there's a media event May 4th through the 6th. We're told that Golden Oak is getting their preview on the 7th. And it's anyone's guess after that what happens. I have heard, though, that cast member previews are before the media event,
1: which is early April, or sorry, late April. Also worth noting, we we have the, the rollout of the national ads to support the opening date, which they're saying is May 27th, right? I believe so, right. By the way, have you, have you seen the new language, the Family Thrill Coaster, which... If you want to talk about of a camel of a name, yeah. you know, family thrill coaster. Well, I do note that the uh, the height
0: requirement of forty two inches is is relatively small. I mean, that's it uh, it's not uh, it's not like forty eight
1: inches, which it is on some thrill rides. There's at least three other attractions within the immediate vicinity. Test Track, mm-hmm. soaring Around the World, and I'm blanking the other one, that are two inches shorter than Cosmic Rewind. On the other hand, if you think about Space Mountain, which has a 40-inch requirement, yeah. it's still lower than that. So it seems to be shooting for that sweet spot where you can get as many people as possible in these 20-passenger trains. Yeah, so Test Track... Uh, Soren and Mission Space are all 40 inches. There we go. There we go. Yeah. That was what I missed. So
0: 42 okay. would be, it's a little more than Tower of Terror, which is 44, but less than Flight of Passage, which is 44. Mm. I'm trying to think, of. is there anything that's 42 inches currently? I don't think it is. I think it's the first attraction with a 42 inch height requirement. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Space Mountain is 44. Splash Mountain is 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. 42. Yeah. Interesting. Makes you wonder about the restraint system. All right, Jim, let's uh, do some quick surveys. Uh, here's one from Jean. So, Jean got a survey about her annual pass renewal from Walt Disney World. And there are two interesting questions here. Um, one is this Which, if any, of the following reasons describe why you probably will renew your annual pass when it expires? So, why are you renewing your AP? Here are the possible answers I enjoy visiting the parks, it makes it more affordable. Uh, The annual pass pays for itself in a short amount of time to experience the attractions, shows, and lands, to experience limited-time events like the 50th. I enjoy the Mm -hmm. perks and benefits that come with being an annual pass holder. Um, The annual pass program is convenient. I love Disney. The annual pass allows me to visit again and again. And my favorite one, Jim, annual passes may be unavailable for purchase at any time. Ooh. And there's a follow-up question that says, "Okay, which initially motivated you to become a Walt Disney World annual pass holder?" The second mm-hmm. possible answer on that one is annual passes may be unavailable for purchase at any time. Which, Ooh. which, Jim? Mm-hmm. <laughs> every every once in a while, I will I will do something and then realize five mm-hmm. minutes later, well, 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 if it isn't the consequences mm-hmm. of my own actions coming to bite me in the <laughs> ass. <laughs> <laughs> is, yes. is this question yes. not, uh, not uh, is this question, dear left hand, please tell us what the right hand is doing.
1: <laughs> wow, the fact that they have to bury this in a survey. Uh, oh, my
0: God. Well, it's funny because so they, they make the passes unavailable because of, you know, limited park capacity. And we've talked about staffing issues and things like oh, that. Oh, sure, 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 in sure, sure. But the fact that the passes are scarce make them more in demand. Mm. which leads to more annual passes being purchased. It's <laughs> <Yes>, I think <laughs> who I, could have foreseen this gym, except literally every single person who's ever had an annual
1: pass. <laughs> Just a quick aside here. What are you hearing about the food service staffing, are we still just at like 40%? Is that still the word coming out of the kitchens? Or? Yeah. And it did not help, I believe, that uh, that Universal just upped its
0: back-of-house kitchen pay from $16 to tw- a little over $20 an hour. Oh. An extra $160 a week for working in a kitchen, people are going to leave left and right. I will say, um, it's not just the kitchen stuff, though. So I was trying to make a Typhoon Lagoon cabana mm-hmm. reservation. I called on Tuesday for five hours and got the only message I got was all circuits are busy. Please try again. I tried on Wednesday and all they would tell me was the wait time was quote greater than 90 minutes. So six days is greater than 90 minutes, but also 91 minutes is greater than 90 minutes. I couldn't decide based on that information whether I wanted to stay on the
1: phone that long. So I didn't. There always used to be these stories about how, you know, for example, when they do the broadcast of the Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Parade on ABC yeah. Christmas Morning, and how you know, they'd actually call extra people and they'd pay like two and three times normal yeah, pay to have people course. come in. Because, you know, as soon as that thing aired, people picked up
0: the phone. Well, the interesting thing about cabanas, you can't mm-hmm. res- reserve them online. You have to call mm-hmm. in, but mm-hmm. there's exactly two people answering the phone, I guess, because the wait time is greater than 90 minutes. So, it's like Disney is triaging their phone mm-hmm. banks and they're like, look, you know, you could you could rent a cabana and I don't know how much a cabana is. Let's say it's, you know, mm-hmm. six hundred dollars. Yeah, we yeah. could, you know, we're giving up six hundred dollars by not staffing this, but we have to direct all of our available phone staff to hotels where the revenue is thousands of dollars instead of
1: hundreds of dollars. I guess I can see that, but the very thing you're talking about that you book two cabanas an hour and you covered that employee's, you know, the cost of having that employee in the building for a week. Yeah. I mean, yes, Universal has upped its food service pay, the backstaff kitchen by $4 what Disney's worth paying. But when you think about, the money you're losing per hour in the parks or people yeah. you know, who just stand on a line that's not moving and all right, we're going someplace else or we'll eat back at the hotel.
0: I think it's one of those things where Disney's making a bet that the economy will not be as strong a year from now and they'll be in a better bargaining position with respect to hiring labor at cheaper rates. Mm-hmm. The downside to that is if that doesn't occur, then you've given up business, you know, incremental business for a year. You've lost revenue for a year and nothing will have changed, right? So that's the that's the bet that they're taking. Well, not uh, it's not great.
1: Bet. Yeah. Okay. All right.
0: Uh, time for some listener questions. Here's one from Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Jim. It's, it happens to be on the same topic. Do you ha- uh, mm-hmm. happen to know if room service is returning to the Poly? I have a bungalow reservation and would love to try the Twilight Feast. So for our mm-hmm. listeners, the Twilight Feast is the thing where if you're staying in a Polynesian bungalow, you can order Ohana as room service. And it, I've done this gym and it is, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate, but when I say it's mm-hmm. a mountain of food, it would literally require hiking gear and repelling equipment. <laughs> if you piled <laughs> it on the table
1: to get to the top of it. I remember you talking about, they rolled two carts out to your bungalow. It was, I we mean, it we just, ordered
0: they, for four people. They, they rolled right. out two carts of food. Mm-hmm. It was, it was like a small cow's worth of beef. <laughs> and uh, like a, a a rice field full of rice, you know, a small Southeastern Asian country's exports of shrimp. It was, it was an enormous, I mean, it was so much food that we, we all ate as much as we wanted that for dinner. We had late night snacks, yeah. we had breakfast the next day and still did not finish everything. Oh God. It's easily four meals worth of food. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Insane. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the things I think that you have to ask about when you are when you arrive. Room service is back at the Poly, like traditional room service, but the Twilight Feast is specifically not on the room service menu now. So Joe, you didn't mention when your um, bungalow reservation is. I would just ask. And it's possible too that even if it's not on the menu, the fact that you're paying you know $3,000 a night to stay in the hotel room might mean that you get a, an extra favor from someone. Right, we'll see what happens. But I would definitely ask. Okay. All right. Here's one from Brendan who says, uh, on social media, I'm seeing more and more Disney park journalists and influencers positing that the increase of bad feelings towards the parks due to paying for things that were once free, like fast pass or parking, lightning lane, or ride downtime, is going to hurt Disney in the next few years. My question is, when has Jim's old adage of when people are happy, they tell one person, when they're not happy, they tell three, actually made Disney reverse a major decision especially connected to pricing. I just don't see prices ever going down, which almost makes me want to get into the park center rather than later. Uh, So this is interesting. I can't recall, Jim, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you can, the last major pricing decision that they walked back explicitly, because if you raise prices too high, you can always run sales Mm -hmm. or discounts Mm -hmm. to get back to a temporarily better price point. So for example, in 2014, Disney raised the price of the cheapest pop century room by almost 12%, which was way more than inflation back then. But then next year's price increases was a fraction of 1% and Disney was offering room discounts almost year round. So that's how they that's how they get around the reversing mistakes thing. But Jim, can you think of any instance where Disney made a major pricing decision and then reverted
1: it? I can think of trial balloons that then quickly stepped away from it. Do you remember the Tomorrowland bungalows? Right, right. we <laughs> were talking about that, we were
0: walking through Tomorrowland a couple of weeks ago and we, we had gone... From the entrance to Space Mountain, back by the jo- Joffrey's coffee stand, and over by, you know, those those restrooms in the back of Tomorrowland. And
1: mm-hmm. we were
0: trying to figure out exactly where
1: those tents were. Was it right over there? Pretty much. I mean, didn't they do kind of a horseshoe-shaped thing? Weren't there some kind of in, in the vicinity of where Buzz does his meet and greets? Oh, Was it back that far? You have to remember that they'd put them up, they'd pulled them down, they'd come back in a week to 10 days. There were a couple of trials in different areas and different price points and that sort of thing. But this is Disney. Prices tend to only go in one direction. So I don't think we are going to see a retreat. The question is, what else do you put on the table to get people interested in coming down? And I... I will say this much, the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind commercials on television right now is one of the best ads I've seen Disney do in years. Yeah, you really like that. We talked about that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. It is the sort of ad. It, it's like one of those ads from the late '80s, early '90s. The, the sort of thing that makes you pick up a phone and book a plane and a vacation package. It looks that good, which is quite a step up from the fiftieth commercial where it's like, "Why am I looking at lit up buildings?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, that I'm going to go then because they, they turned the lights on. So people mm-hmm. people
0: understand new rides better than they do, you know, new iridescent costumes for the characters, which was a, just a complete. Non- Non-starter. Uh, and you give yes. uh, you had to give uh, Universal credit for uh, their CEO acknowledging that in one of their recent earning calls, if they had if mm-hmm. they could do anything different going back to the pandemic, what would it be? And it was we would not have paused our construction. There you go. Yeah, and I think there in retrospect, go. Disney's thinking the same thing. All right, uh, one more uh, letter from Andrew. With all of the talk about how bad Genie Plus is, can someone mm-hmm. explain why Disneyland did away with Max Pass? I live in Michigan, so I can't go to the parks as much as I would like. But every time I went and paid for Max Pass. I was 100% satisfied with my purchase for that day. And now I'm going back to Disneyland this May and I'm totally confused and afraid of this new system that I've only heard bad things about and I still don't understand. They say you can book at 7, for example, but only from within the park, but the park doesn't open until (laughs) 9. Along with many other questions that the fine print just doesn't seem to answer. Has there ever been a discussion on why Disney just didn't roll out MaxPass to Disney World Mm 2? That's a a great question, Andrew. uh, Jim and I have joked about this on the show that... Disney mm-hmm. could have saved half a billion dollars by just saying one day, hey, you know what? Fastpass now costs $15, but it's going to work exactly the same way. Yeah. Right? yeah. That would have alleviated a lot of problems and you know, they still got the same blowback about, you know, this thing that was free is now cost money, but at least not changing the rules and not changing the technology would have saved them a considerable chunk of money. Yeah, it's things like this where I think Jim you mentioned it, you know, every time a new team takes over any organization, Mm -hmm. they want to put their stamp on it. And they do that by doing a big project that costs a lot of money. I think Mm -hmm. in this case, it is Genie Plus. Had Bob Chapek come in and said, you know what, we're going to start charging money for FastPass. The -hmm. board of directors might have looked at that and said, well, that was an obvious move you don't get credit for it. Bob Iger does for making it more successful or something like that, right?
1: It's just how many times have we reinvented the wheel at this point? And each time, you know, what, like, it's a white wall tire. Oh, it's got studs. You know, <laughs> it's still the wheel. Yeah. All right. I don't think anybody
0: would argue at this point that Genie Plus is somehow better or solves a problem that FastPass didn't. In fact, I would argue that it's worse at solving certain problems like crowd distribution. The thing it's better at is generating revenue. So There you go. Welcome to the modern Disney company. (laughs) Exactly. Andrew, meet Brendan. Brendan, meet Andrew. (laughs) There we go. Answering your questions. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim talks about the history of the Reedy Creek
1: Improvement District. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Look, anyone who's been on this planet for the past two years knows that life can sometimes get a little stressful. And that stress can then manifest itself in some pretty extreme ways. By that mean, you may find yourself under-eating or overeating, sleeping too much or sleeping too little, or just spending far too much time each day face-down on your phone, doom-scrolling. Sometimes it's hard to take a step back and recognize the physical symptoms of stress, like headaches, teeth grinding, or even digestive issues. If any of what I've just described sounds kind of familiar, I'm a teeth grinder myself, or so says Nancy, Well, here's your reminder that you need to take care of yourself, which perhaps means you should maybe try some therapy. And and if that's really the case, might I suggest BetterHelp? BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Disney Dish listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Disney Dish. That's betterhel dot com Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. It's the new year, people, a time when we all set goals for ourselves, plan on finally getting around to those tasks that we've been putting off for weeks, maybe even months. And in my case, I am loath to admit this, but I suffer from too many subscription syndrome. When you're an entertainment writer and for work, you need to watch shows on Disney Plus and Netflix and Paramount Plus and Hulu. It's kind of a necessary evil. But that said, one of my goals for 2022 is to thin the herd, which is where Truebill comes in. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgotten about. I know, I know. A lot of companies make it hard to cancel subscriptions. That's what's great about Truebill. They make this process incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to let me tell you, folks, making use of this app can be incredibly lucrative. The average user saves $720 a year by using Truebill. Don't believe me? Listen to what Truebill user Becca L. had to say. Hands down, the best financial app I discovered. In my first week, I opened up $187 in unused reoccurring subscriptions. I'm obsessed. I never want to manage finances without Truebill again. So if you'd like to join the more than 2 million Truebill members who are taking back financial control, go to the App Store or Google Play today and download Truebill today for free. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today with Truebill.com DisneyDish. Go right now, Truebill.com DisneyDish. It could save you thousands a year.
0: All right, Jim, when Disney announced its opposition to Florida's HB 1557, the uh, don't Mm -hmm. say gay uh, bill, Republicans in Florida's government uh, threatened Disney by starting to research how to Revoke the Reedy Creek Improvement District Charter. And that led to a number of reporters calling us to ask what exactly the Reedy Creek Improvement
1: District is. <laughs> it's time for a civics lesson, boys and girls. It, what are the points where you're talking to these proposals? Okay, what's your deadline? Uh, no, we don't have enough time. <laughs> yeah, Is this for today? Yeah, don't,
0: <laughs> don't even ask. No,
1: no it's a four-hour long dissertation. you know. And In fact, in order to explain Reedy Creek, you gotta back up the early, early, early days of the Project Florida, or at least when Florida became a Project Florida. All right, so, so, real quick, Jim, before we, uh, before we get mm-hmm. started,
0: for people who wanna follow along at home, the Reed Creek Improvement District has its own website, rcid.org.
1: And on the front page is a link to the actual legislation that created the Rita Creek Improvement District. And on one of those sleepless nights, crack open this document. You'll be down in two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lots of great info in it, but it, it's almost incomprehensible. You really
0: have to read it one line at a time. And I would skip, mm-hmm. There's a um, there's a huge chunk of those mm-hmm. 92 pages that is just defining the geographical boundaries that start by like, you know, find this post in the ground, mm-hmm. go 10 yards north, and then you know five yards northeast and three yards northwest, and that continues on for like forty pages. So skip if you skip that, it's actually a pretty quick read. Okay. So to begin with, mm-hmm. what events led Disney to ask for a uh, an improvement district in Florida or for Florida to offer it?
1: Let's start with the obvious. A lot of us have developed our affection for the concept of Epcot the city mm-hmm. from that film of Walt. But Walt makes this movie six weeks before he passes. And it's not because he's being kindly old Uncle Walt and and showing people what we're going to build in Florida. This film was was created to be shown on television – in the late part of 1966, early 1967, to all of the residents of Florida who, at the end of the show, were supposed to be compelled to call their state legislate, you know, the state representatives, and talk to them about the legislation that was making its way through the halls of Tallahassee at that time, with the notion of turning those 27,443 acres that Disney had bought into a vacation kingdom. But if, you, if we go back to 65, 66, Len, it is amazing how tentative Disney is at that time. It's a, really? yeah, The thing we might build, the thing we're thinking of doing. Is that them, mm. you know,
0: they're a corporation. Is that them trying to avoid, you know, forward-looking statements? Or are they were they really just that, that unsure about what they were
1: doing? It depends on who you talk to. This is 65. Disney's had 10 years of running Disneyland. A lot of the people who came to Florida were Disneyland guys. Mm-hmm. They'd started at hourlies of the park, made their way up. So these guys understood themed entertainment and also more to the point, you can't typically find Disney using the phrase theme park. They're still using the, the family fun park or amusement park. And they talk about Walt Disney Productions' outdoor recreation operations outdoor recreation operation That's a lot of syllables jim a lot of syllables but again you gotta remember that that was a lot of the appeal of Florida. It's like we're gonna really get to do some some outdoor recreation stuff but speaking of photographs and images everyone's seen that there's that photograph of walt and his brother roy from november of 1965 it's the one where they're sitting at that table at the Cherry Tree Plaza Hotel in Orlando, yep. there's a banner behind them that says "Florida welcomes Walt Disney," and Governor Hayden Burns is is right there at the table with them. And what's interesting is if you, again, if you, you there's some transcripts out there of the actual press conference. There were over 350 members of the media turned out for this thing. In fact, in the annual report for that year. They describe it as the friendliest press conference in Florida history. And just everyone in the room was thrilled that this was going to happen. Yeah. And Walt's at the table doing the whole kindly old Uncle Walt bit. But what people don't talk about is the event that happened before that press conference. Okay. Governor Hayden Burns hosts Walt and Roy at a reception held in Orlando where members of the Disney organization then met with the governor's staff and 750 of Florida's top state officials, dignitaries, and business leaders. And this is new. The Sentinel has only printed... It's front page story, the We Say Mystery Industry is Disney on October 21st, 1965. So it's just three and a half weeks later. And everybody who's in the room for this business session, that's what they're calling the meeting before the press conference. Everybody in this room either is somebody who experienced or knows somebody, a family member, that sort of thing, who experienced 40 years earlier the Florida land boom and bust from 1924 to 1926. They had built the new cities of Coral Gables, Hialeah, Miami Springs, and Miami Shore.
0: Based on the railroad, right? There you go. Yeah. So I have a, I have a great story. Um, so Bob Sellinger, who co authored this mm-hmm. Official guide, his dad mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. was part of a group of investors that oh. bought up land along uh, nor- well north of Orlando around the. Um, mm-hmm. You know the springs area, like an hour north of of Orlando, in the anticipation that eventually you know hotels would be built. Of course, hotels never got built, but they um, they did set up a um, like a campsite. It's called Juniper Springs, oh. and and it exists to this day. And so Bob goes there to vacation. I've been there a couple of times. It is it is in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, I mean that's what yeah it it. it but it came about because. People thought that with the railroads would come, oh, yeah. you know, tourists all over Florida.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. Property values shot up all over the state. Speculators jumped in. Real estate went crazy. And thousands of people like Bob's, you know, father or grandfather invested their life savings and get rich quick schemes. And it all collapses in 1926. And Largely because most of these homes, most of these hotels, the cities were were supposed to be built on unreclaimable swampland. So the direct result, thousands of investors are financially ruined. More to the point, it cripples the local economy in Florida. And this is ahead of the great stock market crash of 1929. So, I mean, that's a one-two punch that the state just doesn't recover from till after World War II. And that's only after guys who'd served could get house loans. And I I want to live someplace warm. Let's go to Florida. So you are in a room full of people who are both excited and nervous. What this means to Central Florida, because remember, this is a place that has no beaches. So it's never had a tourism-based Yeah, why, why would
0: you go to the middle of Florida?
1: Yeah. And so it's already lagged behind the folks that came back after World War II. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, this is why so much of the property in Orange and Osceola County was being used for cattle grazing. Based on its low real estate value, this was all you could do with the acreage. Right. What are, what are you going to do with it? Exactly. So here's Walton Roy basically throwing the center part of the state of Florida lifeline. In this business session, Governor Burns assured Walt at that time of the state's cooperation and outlined the problems facing Walt Disney Productions. He explained how these considerations would be handled. Walt Disney proposed a unique project in terms of size, scope, purpose, imaginative concepts, and all other aspects. Burns says, This fact makes it impossible to fit their enterprise in any of the usual new industry categories. Therefore, it requires careful attention and cooperation on the state and local government levels. He then goes on to say that Mr. Disney his representative have sought clarification of certain existing laws and statutes that pertain to their project. They have also asked for our help in obtaining reasonable and logical assurances of cooperation for the proposed undertaking." Before the whiff of impropriety enters the room, Governor Byrne says all requests by Walt Disney Productions are being handled through existing Florida laws and precedents. He emphasized that Walt Disney Productions had not asked nor had been granted any special privileges. All right. So at this point, they haven't asked for anything. They haven't asked. But the governor gives his pledge to work with the Florida state legislature on matters regarding legislative action. Uh, and then to, to cap off his portion of the business session, the governor declares Walt. Florida's man, not as the year, Lynn, decade. Wow. And we're, we're, we're halfway through the decade. <laughs> but that's the thing. Uh, he then introduces Walt and he gets a standing ovation. And Walt now outlines his preliminary ideas for the new Disney World and concludes by expressing his deep appreciation for Governor Burns and all the, the people of Florida for their interest and enthusiasm in the project. He also thanked all levers of government for the speedy action and exceptional cooperation in dealing with various matters that had to be resolved. So this is only a month after the Sentinel breaks the story. So yeah. Florida kicked open the door and absolutely, Disney people, come on in. So right after the business session, again, we have that press conference with the 350 very happy photographers and reporters. Now, mind you, Walt mentions it's going to take at least a A year and a half to design the Vacation Kingdom, a portion of the the Disney World, and then at least another year and a half to build
0: it. So so three years to design and build the Vacation Kingdom, or let me just uh, put this in terms we can all understand, uh, Mm -hmm. one half of the development cycle of Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Just checking.
1: Go ahead. (laughs) I'm not good with time, so, you know. No, no, not. (laughs) There there, there we go. All All right. But think about what's just been dangled. In front of oh, all of these yeah. Florida, it's a hundred million dollar project, which is supposed to lure six point two million people a year to Central Florida. <laughs> six point two million, <laughs> or
0: you know, ten times that. What what are our numbers anyway, Jim?
1: There we go. That's one of the reasons I love reading these documents. Oh, oh that's charming. Oh yeah. wow, Men may someday go to the moon. <laughs> there you go. And never mind the 3,000 to 4,000 employees that, you know, will be (laughs) by the resort. And also the number that just electrified the folks in Central Florida was the notion that in the 10 years after Disney World opened, the Vacation Kingdom was expected to generate $1.3 billion worth of revenue for the communities that surrounded Project Florida.
0: Yeah. yeah. And $1.3 billion in a
1: community that is basically cow farming. There we go. That's we a go. lot of money. It all seemed too good to be true, and that's because it was. Because Walt Disney production in this same mm-hmm. annual report reveals that they have already managed to turn a profit on Project Florida. By October of 1965, Walt Disney Productions had put together 27,443 acres, almost 43 square miles of real estate, for five million dollars land. Ugh. So adjusted for inflation, that's approximately forty four million seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in two thousand twenty-two money. An amazingly low amount of money. But again, it was <sighs> it was farmland, and farmland is cheap. There we go. But to this date, December 15th, 1965, the company has completed a major and important real estate acquisition. Negotiating for purchase and clearing title on each of the individual parcels required nearly two years' time. But because this has been accomplished, the value of the land has increased significantly. Hmm. And the company's investment would be a successful one simply as a massive real estate venture. Really? So had they just bought and flipped the land? They didn't actually have to build Project Florida to come out ahead in this deal. They just sell off the property they've acquired in the surreptitious land deals and turn a profit. But here's what really frightened the officials in Florida to tell you how late they made the deal, how late they got the newsline. It's the last page in the 1965 annual report.
0: But <laughs> it's like when I'm writing the unofficial guide, I, I am always, always like leave two pages in the middle of this
1: chapter blank so I can fill them in with stuff that's about to happen. There we go. <laughs> I don't
0: know what it's going to be, but just leave the two pages.
1: <laughs> but here's the thing. That the last page of the annual report, the Walters Air Production announces that their bid to build a recreation facility high up in the mountains surrounding Mineral King, California has been accepted by the U.S. State Forest Service. And they then proceed to lay out the plan for this outdoor recreation facility. At full build in 1976, this ski area resort will accommodate. 15,000 to 19,000 skiers a day. There will be 14 different ski lifts, a village that contains a chapel, an ice skating rink, a conference center, restaurants, convenience stores, low-cost lounging, a tiny little show called Country Bear, and <laughs> all of this, land for just $35 million, which was a third oh. of Walt what Disney Productions was planning on spending in in Central Florida to turn all of that swampland into a vacation kingdom. And so now the less-than-subtle message which is passed along to Florida legislators is like, we can turn a profit on all the land we acquired in Central Florida just by selling it. And we now have another outdoor recreation project that could be potentially equal as profitable as Project Florida's vacation kingdom and remember that part where they, when Governor Byrne said that Walt Disney Productions has not asked nor has been granted any special privileges? That's all about to change. <laughs> That's just sort of you know, the curtain raiser for Reedy Creek because it really is worth poking around the, the Reedy Creek webpage. There's a lot of interesting info there. Oh, yeah. It was our buddy BioReconstruct who uh, recently pointed out Reedy Creek and Disney World the resort exist in the same space, but they are very different animals. Like last year when the Disney parks were closed from March 15th to like July 15th, mm-hmm. and Disney World sent home all the employees that work at the Rose, the Reedy Creek people went to work every day. Every day, day. yeah. Because they're, you know.
0: they're cause they're they're essentially a government entity and, and the functions of government still exist.
1: That's exactly so that they were working on road projects. They were working on, you know, they, 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 they worked that whole time. In fact, bio pointed out that the work they're doing just now up in Flamingo Crossing, creating walkways above the highway where, you know, they they can get that done instantaneously because they're really Creek. They don't have to answer to anybody. Whereas how long have they been trying to get walkways built across I-4? Universal. Yes, yeah. you know, and that's been delayed for years.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is the thing we should we, we should talk about in the next episode. It's the fact that Walt's experience with developing Disneyland led him to understand the limitations of his company's power when dealing with another government entity, this one in Anaheim. And so mm-hmm. he was like, look, we want to be our own government in Florida. Because from Disney's perspective – if you've got to go through a government bureaucracy every time you want to change a road mm-hmm. on your land, right? That is a lot of time and a lot of effort for things that ultimately you're going to be responsible for anyway, right? So I uh, I understand where where Walt was coming from on this. the uh, The thing that amazes me is is the extent to which the state and Disney were able to negotiate certain things that we would not have thought about. Like we'll talk about this in an upcoming episode, but not only could Disney build an airport in mm-hmm. the Reedy Creek and Caribbean district, it's part of the, of the agreement. They can build nuclear power plants for, I think a couple more they years. They can. Yeah. They
1: can. But care to guess who talked to Walt, who actually talked him out of when they were looking at what they were doing in Florida. And he's like, Oh God, don't do it as a city. Whatever you do, don't incorporate it as a city. That was Jules Stein, the head of MCA Recreation, the the Universal, you know, pictures. He told him, "Why why did they not want him to incorporate as a city?" Well, because Universal, if you go all the way back to like 1912, when Universal City set itself up, it wasn't just a, a movie studio; it was, it was a city out, you know, out in the, the far reaches of Los Angeles. And and the very things that you were just talking about—that suddenly, okay, we, we want to add a new roadway. Okay, contact the state of California. Okay, you know, we we want to move our fire station because the studio has been expanding. It's like, oh, we got to talk to the state of California. And and Jules was the one who actually, when Jules was talking about, you know, we're thinking about maybe opening the studio and turning it into a tourist attraction. It's like, oh, let me send over Harper Goff. He can help you design like your trams. This was a very different age, you know, in, in the lifespan of Disney and Universal. But yeah, it was the head of Universal who told Walt Disney, oh God, don't make it a city in Florida. Do anything but. Wow. So,
0: but, so they, they had learned through experience in dealing with uh, various municipalities Mm-hmm. Um, what they wanted and what they didn't want. so that's good.
1: Oh absolutely absolutely. Yeah. But
0: still the uh, the extent of the agreement to me is pretty is pretty surprising. Like the fact that the Reedy Creek Improvement District uh, will mm-hmm. exist in perpetuity mm-hmm. uh, is not something I think that uh, that we all we all looked at. I'd love to get uh, I'd love to have I wish we could afford it to have lawyers look at this to sort of figure uh, out like if you if you were going to attack this, how would mm-hmm. you attack it? because everything I've yeah. seen around special districts, Mm-hmm. Even even though you can you can create a special district and say that it's going to live forever, forever yeah. doesn't doesn't literally mean until the end of time. It can be it can be revoked. But the only yeah. instances I've seen of special districts being revoked is when its original purpose is no longer valid. Like if you like, and, and the, the the classic examples are we're going to do a, an improvement district for wetlands. Right. But if you did it 50 years ago and now it's no longer wetlands, it's, you know, it's something else. Mm -hmm. Well, the original purpose is no longer there. But even then, when you revoke the charter, you still have to allow for the benefits that would have accrued to Mm -hmm. still accrue. And that's the thing I think that it looks, looks tricky from a, you know, from a, we're going to, we're going to do away with the RCID. Mm -hmm. That is super, super difficult. The other thing I think that's difficult, and again, I'm not a lawyer, is the state's not going to, the state can't argue that Disney hasn't upheld its side of the bargain.
1: There was supposed to be a city.
0: It's 50 years later. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You could, I mean, you could argue that Walt Disney world is the city. It's got, I mean, if, if that's the and, case. And you know, that you are not wrong. You know,
1: the, the fact, you know, okay, the largest imagine. public transport, uh, transit system in the state of Florida behind Miami yeah. and Jacksonville. Uh, I would imagine that would be the argument that Disney makes. Yeah.
0: Again, I'd love to get a to hear a lawyer, you know, opine on this. But uh, my sense is that this is uh, a will never happen. B. I don't even know that how people would attack it. But I'd, I'd love to know.
1: So we'll see what we can do on that. And let's not forget the very important C. Will off of this issue? That's it. I mean, I
0: think it's a fundraising thing, right? I don't, I don't think anyone is seriously looking at, at doing it. No. Uh, no. And even even then, the lawsuit from Disney would be, let's put it this way: human technology does not have. <laughs> The sufficient capability right now to measure the, how short the amount of time would be between the time that the, that the Florida legislature decided to abolish the RCID and Disney filed mm-hmm. the lawsuit. Like like you think a femtosecond is short? Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, that would be an eternity in comparison, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. Ready,
1: aim. Oh, they fired. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. there we go. And
0: you know, it hit return. Yeah, exactly. There we go. The there we go. All right. But, uh, but all right, so we're going to continue this on the, on the next episode. Oh,
1: yeah. There's the a lot more story yet to come.
0: Fantastic, folks. All right, so that's going to do it for this show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. We'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, and we'll continue this talk on the Reedy Creek Improvement District next week. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Touring Plans. Dot com. were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's collecting all the unused mining equipment at Big Thunder Mountain Railroad to sell at the Junkin Markets Days Festival, April 22nd through the 24th at the WH Lion Fairgrounds Expo Building on North Lion Boulevard in beautiful downtown Sioux Falls, South Dakota. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.